Gather close together and stay warm. So I want to go ahead and uh, as we settle in here, let me go ahead and start us and uh, open us in prayer. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the gift of this day and the fact that you've ordained for us to come together on a regular basis to encourage and spur one another on to love and good works as we are reminded of, uh, of all the truth that you've revealed to us in your word. So Lord, as we, as we get into your word today, please continue to show us more of you and help us <laughs> to just bask in that and to enjoy uh, the gift that we have of your revelation of yourself to us. And prepare our hearts and minds and ears, prepare my lips as we, as we share from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are beginning our new Sunday School series. Uh, this is our first week in the book of Hebrews. And uh, we, uh, the title for this week's it, uh, Sunday School message is the supremacy of Christ in all things, which I think will become pretty evident as we uh, jump into the text here in a moment. We just concluded our study of Malachi. For Most of you have been here for that, but we just finished the book of Malachi in our last study. And that, as, as, I, as we shared, was really kind of a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it pointed forward to the, the coming Savior and the fulfillment of prophecy. And it showcased God's love and discipline for his people and alluded to the hope and joy uh, that would be found in this coming great day of the Lord. Well, now, while Malachi pointed forward to what would soon be revealed, Hebrews really points back to the Old Testament and to all of the requirements of the law uh, that were fulfilled by the perfect life and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So God's purpose and plan are now fully revealed in the person of Jesus, and that's what we see as we get into our text today. Uh, and the first chapter alone refers to seven Old Testament passages just in Psalms. And there's other Old Testament references throughout. If any of you have uh, like one of the, those chain link references in your margin of your Bible that shows all of the Old Testament, New Testament references, you'll see that the, the margins are pretty full when you get into the book of Hebrews because there's so much that points it back and forth uh, between the Old and New Testament. And there are references to Isaiah, 2 Samuel, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Judges, Joel, besides all of those Old Testament passages and actually the, the main quotes that we're going to read in this, in Hebrews 1, come directly out of uh, some of the Psalms passages. I, I would say the book of Hebrews emphasizes and, and almost shouts to listeners that the Old Testament is Christ-centered. When you look at this the way, through the eyes of the whole book of Scripture, you can see that it is all, even the Old Testament is all about the coming Messiah. And of course, now we're in the season when we're starting to focus more on the Messiah and what that means. And this book of Hebrews, timing-wise, we hadn't planned it just to be around Christmas, but it, it's, it's actually a great time to be thinking about what the Messiah is and has done uh, as we get into this. Uh, the book shows Jesus 
to be the ultimate prophet, priest, and king that is superior to angels. He's even superior to the Mosaic law because he fulfills it and fulfills it perfectly. He was able to do what no other person or priest could do. I want to share, there was a quote that stuck with me from a while back that Alistair Begg had made. And I wanted to share this because I think it kind of capsulizes the, the uniqueness of, of Christ here. He said, Jesus alone can meet every individual's need for forgiveness, peace, security, direction, and he alone can bring them into a living, eternal relationship with God. Wow. How about that? How's that, how's that for a summary of what Jesus, Jesus' uniqueness, he alone can satisfy all the requirements of the Old Testament. And we're going to see more and more about what the Old Testament required and why we should be so grateful that we don't have to meet all those requirements ourselves. What mankind needs and is looking for in this life is found in Jesus Christ. And the supremacy of Christ is clearly shown right from the beginning of Hebrews here. The book goes on to, to prove the superiority of, of Christ's priesthood and his ministry in every respect. And we will be going uh, into that in more detail in, in coming weeks uh, as we get into the other coming chapters. Uh, we're also going to see the, some very strong warnings. Just to give you an overview or a preview of what's to come, uh, we're going to see some very strong warnings to turn away from sin and to turn to Christ. Uh, we're going to see the call to faith and endurance until Jesus returns. We're also going to see the, the great Hall of Faith passages that most, most of us are familiar with from Hebrews that, that lists all of those Old Testament saints and their faithfulness and why their names are preserved in, in this book here. We're going to get a chance to see that later. And then there's a call for us not to grow weary or to shrink back uh, from this faith. And that's very strongly made here. And there's great exhortations to pers persevere and endure to the end. And we're going to see a, a, just a wide range of subjects uh, that are part of the study of Hebrews. This is a very in-depth book. And uh, there's covers everything from the blessings that we have in Christ to the warnings to keep from drifting. It's a very, very doctrinally rich and full book. And it's very similar to Romans. We've been talking about that among the, the teaching group uh, about just how similar it is to Romans in, in many respects because there's a lot of deep truths that come out of the text. Spiritually speaking, I like to say this is some very nutrient-dense food as we get into he Hebrews. This is, uh, as the terms that I shared too, this is with a couple of the other brothers, this is like meat. And when, when you think about we're going to be in Hebrews in Sunday school for the next couple of months, and we're still in Romans uh, in our sermon series for the next however many months, years, whatever. I mean, this is some very, very rich and, and spiritually uh, edifying information. That's sort of spiritual food of meat and potatoes analogy that I like to think about. This is not baby food or milk. This is, this is some very serious stuff here. So with that as our introduction, let's go ahead and jump into the text and read chapter one here. It starts off, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. 
He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers of flame and fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? That's chapter one, just 14 verses. Right from the start, though, we see the authority of Scripture affirmed. The Old Testament is the written word of God, and it was proclaimed to his people by the prophets of old. God has always spoken. God is a speaking God. And to dispel any doubts, I would, I would encourage you to turn to Genesis 1. If you want to turn to Genesis 1 with me for just a moment, I, I just want to, make, I want to see, show you the emphasis on the fact that this is a God who speaks. In, even starting in verse 3, look at the very first part of verse 3 of Genesis 1. And God said, drop down to verse 6. And God said, some of your Bibles might say, then God said. You're going to see this repeated. And God said in verses 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, and 26. Do you get it? <laughs> God said. And then when you get to verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them. He speaks to his creation. God not only speaks, but he speaks to his creation. We're his creation. He speaks to us. He spoke to the first man has been speaking to mankind ever since. When God speaks, he reveals truth. He reveals what is and what is to be. He spoke through Moses and the prophets long ago, but in the last days, through his son, this is a really key word, we're going to come to this in a moment, through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything God says is important, and there's a reason for it being preserved in his word. Matthew 5, uh, 18 says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus is affirming the authenticity of the Old Testament, and he's simply saying that what faithful Jews would say of the Old Testament scriptures, which is that they're, they're from from God. These words are God's words, and they're factual, and they can't be tampered with, and we see that 
through the New Testament, Jesus accomplishes all of these things that were written in the Old Testament. This proves he is Messiah. We have to remember that it is the Old Testament which gives us the evidence showing that Christ is the Messiah and the one that fulfilled these prophecies. That's why we celebrate at Christmas season Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when you read the Old Testament books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you, you get a chance to see how much is actually required by the law. When you read Hebrews, we can rejoice that this has all been accomplished. In your handouts, I provided some examples of Old Testament passages pointing to the fulfillment in, in the New Testament. But I just want to give you the summary. After a list of very extensive details from, from Leviticus, in Leviticus 7, uh, verses 37 through 38, it summarizes just some of, of the requirements. And it says, this is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. And, and that's just a list of the offerings in Leviticus, okay? I just read you the list, that's the summary. That, that's not all the details. That's just the summary of the different types of offerings that have now been fulfilled by Jesus Christ. The reason for all of these details and these requirements is that God, God's holy and he deserves more than just casual, half-hearted uh, worship in his kingdom. He is worthy of all of our praise. The demands of the law are great, and I, for one, am so grateful that Jesus fulfilled all those demands, and it's not dependent on me to know and to, to be perfect in all these things. And as we read these Old Testament passages, I, I hope that you get a feel of gratitude and thanksgiving that these are not still required of us, because you read those and go, wow, there's no way I could do all of this. How, how could I remember and do and and keep all of this. We can't. Again, that's the beauty of what, what Jesus has done. You know, God's given us laws so we can know how to live and how to worship, but in these last days, he sent his son to not only speak, but to show us how to worship and live lives that honor and glorify God. And, and what more could we ask for than a living example? And that's why Jesus is God's ultimate revelation. It's the full revelation as we're about to, as we read in the passage, and we're going to focus back on those passages here again in just a moment. But we can trust in Him and follow Him because He's already done all of these other things that are required perfectly. So we get to see an example of that in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 24 35, He said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Jews hearing this, think about this. When, when Jesus was speaking to the Jews of his day, they had to wrestle with this because they understood that the Old Testament, if they were, if they were, if they were believing Jews, they understood that the Old Testament was God's word. But now Jesus is, as, is actually claiming that his words will never pass away. 
He's saying that the words I speak are the very words of God. They will never pass away. And we realize what, do you realize what Jesus was doing at that time? Jesus is clearly making amazing claims about his own teachings, and he's putting his teachings on par with the rest of biblical instruction. And as great and as true as the revelation of God's word is, God has revealed even more of himself to us by his son Jesus living and walking with us, and that is the name that we usually hear or, or speak more at this time of year, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what this is talking about. At this time, we remember that, oh yes, God didn't just leave his word for us. He brought his son to be physically with us as well and to show us that way. Well, looking at verse 2 in Hebrews, we read about Jesus that he was appointed heir of all things through whom also he created the world. Now, an heir, of course, uh, is the one to which ownership and control are ultimately given, and we see that Jesus is the one to whom it was given. Not only is Jesus the heir, but going way above this, this, he's the one who created everything. We know that there is only one creator, God. He established all space, time, matter, and everything in the world by his power. And now we're shown here that Jesus is the creator. He's the second person of the Trinity. He is God, and he makes this point twice, just in chapter 1, that he is the creator of the universe. Everything was created by him. It's twice in the passage that we just read that Jesus is the creator. And all of this only makes sense if we accept all Jesus' direct and indirect claims about his own deity. And Hebrews is really confirming all of this and then amplifying it even more by showing how Jesus fulfilled all of the Old Testament laws and prophecies and was glorified beyond all other beings, including angelic beings. Jesus surpasses them all because he created all beings and everything in the universe and therefore is superior. The maker is always going to be greater than the things he made. And Jesus is superior to all things in the universe. The practical application of this is that he also has the power and authority to judge, to, to judge the entire creation. In Matthew uh, 25, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. When Hebrews talks about him sitting on the right hand in heaven, in verses both 3 and 13, because remember, it says this twice for emphasis, it affirms that he's the judge and the ruler over all things. He's the judge. He's the perfect and, and highest judge and ruler over all things. And another gospel passage that uh, affirms this is John 5. says, The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. And the re- Why? The reason's in verse 23. It says, 
that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This shows us the importance of accepting Jesus as God, as deity, not rejecting his deity. And then we come to verse 3. And this verse is, is just packed with meaning, meaning and significance. We, we could camp, camp on verse 3 for the rest of our time and maybe some of next week. And I'm going to do my best to kind of be brief here. But this is a really, really important uh, part of our, our reading today. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The radiance. Let's start with that. This, this is a really, this is a key word here. Some of your Bibles uh, would probably say, might say brightness, effulgence, shining or outshining or reflection. And it's a, a rich word that conveys some very, very deep meaning. When something radiates, it means it's coming from a particular source or essence. So it has to, it has to have an origin point. It's radiating from or emanating from a, uh, a, an essence. Jesus comes forth from the essence of the Godhead. And I had a lot of visuals come to mind as, as, as I read this part. I got some very vivid uh, pictures of this. But just picture, picture the sun for a moment. Most of us have probably seen some pictures of solar flares, right? We've seen these things coming off, off of the sun. They're all part of the sun. And they radiate from the essence of the sun. We see these massive, these, these, and these, uh, these, some of these solar flares go on for just thousands and thousands of miles or so big. But they're still part of the sun. They're just radiating from the essence of the sun. They're super bright and powerful, but they don't exist on their own. Okay, this is really important. They don't exist on their own. They're an extension of the sun itself. To bring this closer to home, picture yourself on a sunny day feeling and seeing the warmth of the sun as it warms your body and gives light to your eyes. That warmth and that light is still just part of the sun. Those rays that we're getting from the sun, millions of miles away from it, are just the radiance that's still part of the sun. They're not separate from it. They emanate from the sun in our solar system. And we still get to feel and experience and, and uh, enjoy that here. They're part of that essence. Jesus is the sun, S-O-N, is that radiance of the Godhead shown on earth to mankind. Just like we get those rays of the sun, S-U-N, on the earth. We got the radiance that's part of God in Jesus Christ when he comes in the manger, which we celebrate in the, in the coming weeks. His eternal glory and majesty are displayed in human flesh. And as the next part of our verse makes clear, he's the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is the perfect copy, representation, the re reproduction of the Godhead. And just like solar flares and rays and, and of the sun are part of the sun, we see that the sun, S-O-N, what we see and experience is God the Father being shown to us 
in Jesus Christ. They are part of one another, and they're still distinct. That's the thing about the, the triune nature, nature of God, the Trinity. Distinct, still one essence. Three distinct persons, one essence. John 12, 44 through 46 says, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus is the radiant light of glory. I, I hope that helps you to picture more clearly who Jesus Christ is and that he's part of the, the Godhead there. Anyway, I hope those visuals can be of some use to you. So continuing back in, in verse 3, we see more proof of Christ's deity. It says, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is not only the creator, but he's the sustainer of the universe. And God alone can do that. We know that only God can create and sustain the universe. There's no other power or force that's capable of doing that. And after listing these attributes and powers of Christ, we're told more about him and what he has done and what he is now doing. So now it says, after making purification for sins, some of your Bibles might say purging sins. So after purging sin or pur purifying our sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So Jesus' sacrifice purified all believers from the guilt of sin. And his intercession declares us righteous before the throne of majesty on high. And for those who trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. He has the position and the power to forgive and declare us righteousness. And again, there's only one that can do that, and that's God in the form of Jesus here. When we turn the corner into uh, verse 4, we see Christ compared to angels. And the contrast is really, really stark. Even his name is greater than that of angels. And as a little bit of background, there were some cults and sects, even in the, the, the first century, that worshipped angels or, and or believed that Jesus was just an angel. And we have some of those today as well. I mean, Jehovah's Witnesses think that Jesus isn't, wasn't God, but he's Michael the archangel. And I would encourage everyone uh, to closely study the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 1, so you can point people to the truth. If you have friends or neighbors or loved ones that have been drawn into some of these cults, Hebrews 1 is a great apologetic tool to use to show them about Christ's deity. He's not just an angel. He's the Son of God. This declares this very, very clearly. We're going to go ahead, just from a timing standpoint, we're going to finish in the, uh, by looking at the Old Testament verses, because now we're going to get into the, the quote where it's quoting these Old Testament verses as they relate to Jesus. Um, and they show Christ's superiority to angels and, and how it's impossible to call Jesus just an angel. Verses 7 and 14 make clear that angels are, are ministering spirits. So again, it says it not once, but twice in just chapter 1 here, that 
angels are ministering spirits. Contrast that with verses 2 and 10. They make it very clear that Jesus is the creator. There aren't any angels that created the universe. Bible does not teach that anytime, anyplace, anywhere. So there's a clear distinction between Christ and angels, and it's made even more clear in verse 6 where the angels are, are called to worship him. The angels are called to worship, and who alone deserves worship? God alone. So again, I hope you're hearing again and again and in many different kinds of ways just from this first chapter of, of Hebrews that Christ's deity is, is manifest through this. If you want a solid way to understand and then to be able to share and explain with others that Jesus Christ is God, Hebrews 1 is a great place to start because it makes it crystal clear Jesus is superior, he's the one, and, and he deserves our, our worship. So just to reread this, it says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The significance of that word son is intimacy. There's, there's more than just regular closeness. Even earthly fathers, your son is part of you. They have part of you within their DNA. This is making clear that there's a big distinction in intimacy between the father and the son than there is between the father and the angels. I hope you see that that's a very, very stark contrast there. The son is a really important word. He's part of the father. And it goes on and says, and again, when he, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And as I just mentioned a moment ago, no one is to be worshiped except God alone. And this is the verse that's telling you, okay, this is not just an angel here. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his, and his ministers of flame uh, his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And back to that creator part again, it says, and you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? We're blessed as believers, to have angels. I mean, this is telling us exactly what the purpose of angels is. They're to be ministering spirits to those that are saved, the elect. They are, they are created to serve and minister to us. And that's great, and that's fine, but we're even more blessed to have Jesus interceding and doing what the angels can't, which is cover our sins. Angels can't cover our sins. They can minister to us and help us 
But only Jesus, the Son of God, can be the Savior and cover our sins. He's above all, and he reigns. This is just the first installment in the book of Hebrews here, but I, I hope that you see a couple of things really come out of this, which are one, the superiority and the supremacy of Christ in all things, and he's the one whom we're, whose image we're being molded into, right? So he's the supreme one. We need to see the supremacy of Christ and also see his deity. I, I can't think of any, any other passages that are more. I mean, there's other good passages, but I can't think of any other passages that more clearly show his deity than what we've just been reading and seeing. It, it should take away any doubt from anybody's mind that Jesus really is God. So with that said, I, I want to I leave a little bit of time for, for Q&A here. Let, let me pray, and then we'll have, make sure we've got enough time for, for um, Q&A. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you so much for revealing your glory in Christ for the radiance of your image that he has been to be the exact imprint of your nature that we can all see. Lord, uh, help us to sharpen our focus and to just cherish even more who Jesus is and what he has done. And most importantly, Lord, we ask that you just continue to work on us and mold us more into the image of Christ. Lord, we cannot do this on our own. We need your Holy Spirit to do that. And Lord, we trust that you will because you have, have promised us that you will finish the work that you started in us. So Lord, continue to strengthen us and just encourage us in the truth of your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So first question, just want to ask, uh, just quick show of hands. <clears throat> How many of you have ever read through uh, the, the, the book of Leviticus, the whole book of Leviticus? Okay, maybe half of you, okay. It's one of those books that if you're reading it by itself, it can seem a little long and tedious, okay? <laughs> one of those ones you might want to read if you're having problems going to sleep at night. But there's a purpose for all of that, right? There's a purpose. God put all these details in Leviticus to show how seriously he takes his worship, how, how we're to worship him. And Leviticus spells that out. Now, if you've read Hebrews and you've never read Leviticus, as we're studying through this, I want you to go read Leviticus with new eyes because you should just rejoice as you read any chapter of Leviticus and go, wow, they had to do this. Oh, they had to do this. Wow, <laughs> thank you, Lord. I don't have to do all of this anymore. It's finished. Jesus did it all. So I, I, I encourage you as part of the homework as we're studying through the book of, of Hebrews, go read Leviticus and even Deuteronomy. The, those are some books where sometimes they might, you, you look at that and go, what's the big deal and why do we have to go into all this? Because that's how serious God takes him, himself and this are the requirements. And the good news is Jesus fulfilled all of those requirements. So if we're reading that, we can look forward. If we're reading the Old Testament, we can look forward to, wow, this is great. They've all going to be fulfilled. Hebrews tells us Christ fulfilled them. And if we're reading Hebrews, we look back at Leviticus and go, wow, that is so great. Look at all of those things. And Jesus fulfilled any one of, all of these little minute details on all of this. So again, that's the, the quick homework I want to encourage everyone. Besides reading through the next chapter 
of, uh, of Hebrews 2 to be prepared for our study next week, go, go at least start reading some of, he of Leviticus so you can get a better feel and understanding and appreciation for what Leviticus is actually doing here. So, first question. Why is Jesus greater than the angels or the heavenly beings? Why, why is Jesus greater than the heavenly beings? This should be an easy one. It's got it a couple of times in here in our passage that we just read. Why is Jesus greater than the heavenly beings? Because he made him. <laughs> first, first and foremost, first and foremost, he made them. Why, why else is he greater? I mean, that, that, that alone should end the conversation, but there's other reasons as well. Is it, why, why else is he greater than angels? Um, oh. Turn it off here. Well, he's the only one to. Uh, well, let's look at utility. He's the only one that can supply uh, forgiveness and 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 bridge the gap between uh, us and our, our heavenly Father. Yeah. yeah, he's the only one that can forgive our sins. None of the angels can. What else? What's another big distinction between Christ and the angels? Verse 2 says, God appointed him. <laughs> That's another good mic drop phrase there. God specifically appointed him to his task, which is different. Um, I like the way it's put in verses 8 and 9, where... Um, God is saying, of the Son, so of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, again, distinction there, above his companions, <clears throat> above those other spirit beings. What else? There's at well, least one just more. Just piggybacking off of Sam, he's like I said, it's, well, he, in the passage, it clearly shows that, you know, Christ just isn't our mediator, but he's God. And two, just from a, a utility piece of it and his humanity, he loves things that God loves perfectly. Yeah. Perfectly. So. Perfectly loves. There's one other one I was, I was looking to hear. Was there one other one that we got out of that that's different? Here we go. <clears throat> Verse 4 says that he's ha uh, after he sat down, he's having become as much more superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And what's that name? Jesus, Emmanuel. And also in, in, in the Hebrews context, the word son. Remember the intimacy of the son with the father, being part of the father. Great. You guys are getting it. I, again, I'm, it's always great to see people getting what, what this text is really t telling us about here. So now, now I'll ask you, and we've got a whole four minutes left, so you, uh, let's see how well you can unpack all of this uh, theology here in, in, in a couple of minutes. Is Jesus God? And if so, how do you explain that? 
Okay, so the deity of Christ. How would you explain that? If someone's saying, well, isn't Jesus different from God? How would you, ex how would you explain this? And again, you, you can cheat and look back here. This might help you in Hebrews to explain that. How would you explain to an unbeliever or, or, or maybe a new believer who's, who's trying to wrestle with who is Jesus and what is he and what's his relationship? How would you explain is Jesus God? This is important to know. And that's, this is our opportunity to share. And again, the, just go, I mean, even if you've only got a piece of it that you want to share, that's okay. But just how would you begin to explain to someone that Jesus is God? <clears throat> well, I like to... Uh... Well, first of all, he says it in Hebrews 1. He's a creator of all things and upholds all things by the word of his power. Mm -hmm. But I like that example you gave a while back about the tank with the helium. Mm -hmm. You know, because you'd have to explain the Trinity right. to explain Jesus, right? And so, but I've always used one which, I mean, I don't know how well it is, but, you know, I like to say, you know, as a person, you have a physical body, right? And then you also have a spirit, and then you have a soul. Mm -hmm. So in essence, you are a, a trinity. Because mm -hmm. God, God made us in his image, right? So it would make sense. And I don't, I don't know how much water that argument holds, but that's one I like to use because you're one person, but there's three parts of you. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's the way I would do it. No, that's, that's helpful. A quick one that reminds me of too uh, is even this dual citizenship, because some people struggle with just the one aspect of it. Well I, thought he was, well, I thought he was man, because he's the son of man. Yes. But you're saying he's God. Yes. It's both. It's not either or. And you can, just like you can have dual citizenship right now. Wait, you know, I could be an American citizen and a Canadian citizen, for instance. One doesn't preclude the other. But he was fully God and fully man. So how else would you explain? Again, this is a really important, and I know it's, it's not a simple or light concept, but how else would you explain that Jesus is God? And again, that's a great start because obviously he's the creator. That's, that's, that's a pretty big one to start with. What else? How else could you, could you do that? I don't know if it's cheating, um, leaving Hebrews 1. I don't know if the exercise is supposed to be explained, Jesus being God from Hebrews chapter 1 only, but oh, I'm going to cheat and go to John 1, because I think John 1 is helpful to kind of work parallel with Hebrews 1. Yeah, Obviously, you could do it just with Hebrews 1, but it would just take a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would be a little difficult to explain that, mm -hmm. but it's possible. Yeah. John 1, another great, great passage. 1 John 1 more. If you look at other passages, too, 1 John 1 also. Yeah, I think it's been said already, but God himself calls him God. God, your God. And that pretty much explains right there <laughs> yeah. that he is God. Yeah. So. Yeah. God himself is <laughs> calling your God which is Jesus Christ. Good stuff. A anything else that, that you'd like to share or you just want to get a chance? This is a safe place, folks. Like, even if you're wrestling with this or trying to figure out how you articulate it, 
this is, a, this is a chance for you to actually practice what you're going to maybe say on a one-on-one -on -one conversation with me. That's why this is why we have the Sunday schools where you can have a little bit more give and take, and you can, we can sharpen each other's iron a little bit more. Is there anything else that anybody would like to share about how you would explain uh, that Jesus is God? Um, you know, just taking the, the hypostatic union and kind of breaking it down a little bit and bringing about God's power, just saying, like, because um, I've had to do it, um, God, all-powerful God, I would question it and say, well, don't you think all-powerful God can wrap himself in flesh? If he can create us and the universe and all these other things, then he has the ability to wrap himself, create a soul, create a body, wrap himself in flesh, uh, and come down and dwell with us, Emmanuel, God among us. And a lot of times when I've had an opportunity to explain that, you could see people kind of like, oh, yeah, if I guess if he can do all this, he can do that too. So. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing to, as, as another good portion of that to, understand, to help people understand. Okay, if this God is the God that creates everything out of nothing, do you think he is capable of taking on human flesh too? I mean, what, what's precluded from him being able to do something? I mean, he's God. It's not illogical for us to say that, well, he's capable of doing both of these things, all of these things. Okay, well, we're, we're at our time here, and people are starting to come in for, for worship service, but uh, we look forward to, again, please, for your homework, take a look at, if you want to have an appreciation for more of Hebrews, go start reading Leviticus and or Deuteronomy a little bit. You'll, you'll appreciate Hebrews even more, and we look forward to uh, our next studies in that, so, uh, and we'll get ready for worship here.